Good morning. I'm also running my own sound, so I'm making sure <laughs> we're on check this morning. Um, today we're going to continue our series in the Psalms. We've been working through them uh, this summer, uh, our series in Psalms. We just have three more weeks in the Psalms, and then we'll move on to the attributes of God. Like God, yes, attributes of God. Like Kyle said, uh, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here um, at College Acres. My gifts and passions, I oversee uh, students and families, but also love the opportunity to have Sunday mornings uh, like this. And so I know we didn't read the text this morning, but my plan is to walk through all 19 verses uh, this morning as, as we go along. Uh, so we'll eventually read all of them in there. So that's why we didn't start this morning with that. But it will be helpful this morning uh, that you do keep your Bibles open to Psalms 51. Uh, I referenced back to it several times, and it was just a lot to put on the screen. So some of the verses will be on the screen, uh, but it will be helpful uh, to have Psalm 51 open. And there are Bibles uh, in front of you uh, in the pews slash chairs if you want to follow along this morning. So when we were breaking up this series, uh, I asked and specifically fought for Psalms 51. Now, usually Kyle likes to throw me uh, kind of the harder or the maybe the more sorrowful passages, uh, but I guess we no longer have that excuse because I specifically asked uh, for Psalm 51, and it is my favorite uh, a psalm, and that's kind of unique given uh, what it says in its passage, but uh, it is my favorite psalm uh, that I like, and for a few reasons. Uh, number one, uh, it, to me, it's a very unique uh, passage of Scripture because uh, we can see that this psalm comes from a very specific time in David's life. We can pinpoint exactly uh, when David penned this psalm in his life. So here you have David, right? This mighty king, this mighty warrior king that God has put into place. And he was used by God to bring a sword of judgment to the nations around Israel. There was fear surrounding David. He was just this, this mighty king who went to battle with his men and his feats in battle they're listed in scripture but but they make Rambo seem like a toddler with a spoon right David was a mighty mighty warrior this unstoppable soldier yet you have this moment where he's just crumbling before God he just makes himself vulnerable this mighty soldier just goes before himself and just falls before God's faith and is just completely vulnerable because of what he had done to him. So, so it's kind of an inspiring moment. So, so the psalm is unique from that standpoint. But also for me personally, um, the life of David has meant a lot in, in my journey of faith. Not long after I came to surrender my life to the true gospel, uh, someone encouraged me with a discerning thought. They looked at me and said, hey, listen, I see you like a David in your faith, right? a, a man after God's heart. Now, I'm not comparing myself to David, but he was just making this connection and just encouraging me uh, early on in my faith, and I really took that to heart. So that encouragement has really challenged me, and I learned a lot studying the life of David. So this psalm in particular is very meaningful to me, and that's why I asked for the opportunity uh, yet again to let the Lord use it uh, again in my life for preaching this morning. So Understand that in this psalm, there is some strong language, not like adult language, he's not cursing or anything, uh, but the strong language that he uses, especially in the Hebrew text, is very passionate, right? David is using strong language to describe his position before the Lord. 
So I will say that that study and and going through this passage yet again, uh, it it really, I I struggled through this. This is one of the harder ones uh, passages that I've uh, taken to a Sunday morning uh, and preached through. So I didn't really work through this, but I hope that what the Spirit has led me to share this morning uh, is a passage uh, that that I can do justice to this passage as a whole. So so what is this this Psalm 51 about? What what is this passage that means so much to me uh, and is unique in the life of David? Why is it so powerful. Well, I think to truly understand David's position, we are going to have to give some context to the story as a whole. So uh, we don't have time, unfortunately, to read the whole story, uh, the backstory surrounding this psalm, but I do encourage you to go look at it. It's in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Uh, Don't read it this morning. (laughs) Read it later. Um, But that's uh, the story behind all this. So I'm kind of going to summarize this familiar story, and I'll highlight a few passages uh, that are key to understanding uh, the background of this. So it begins in 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, right? And then particularly this says this. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel. Now this is a whole sermon in itself, but there's a key thing that says, when kings go out to battle... David, who's a king, sent others, right? So that's David's oops first in that. So, so understanding the background is David made mistakes from the very beginning. David made mistakes from the very beginning. So summarize the story real fast. David stays at home like he shouldn't have been when other kings go out to battle. David stays at home and he's out on his balcony on his palace, probably planned this from the beginning. And he's overlooking the city and he looks in a particular area and he sees a woman bathing on top of her roof. And that was the custom back then. But he sees her, he doesn't look away. He let lust get the best of him. Then he longs for her. And he asks, hey, who is that? Bring her here. And and even the servant with him is like, ah, that's Uriah's wife. David's like, bring her here. That's the wife of Uriah, his servant says yet again. Now bring her here. He, he, he warns David, like, David, what are you doing? But David, no, David wants her. So the servant go gets her. He, she comes into the house of David. David sleeps with her. David gets her pregnant. And now David has to try to cover up this sin of adultery in his life. Because he knows Uriah. Uriah is one of his mighty men. Uriah fought next to David side by side. They bled together on the battlefield. He knows who Uriah is. And so he calls for Uriah. Uriah comes back from the battlefield and he says, hey, listen, you know, you're doing great. Why don't you go home, be with your wife? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, cover up my sin. Uriah refuses. Uriah's loyalty to the army, Uriah's loyalty to David, he doesn't. He goes and actually sleeps outside of his house. And they tell David this and he's like, man, you're supposed to go be with this wife. And he tries it again and it doesn't work. He even tries getting them drunk and it doesn't work. He's trying this, all this to cover up his sin. So finally, David in his frustration goes, all right, that's it. I'm gonna send him to battle. So David takes Uriah back to battle or sends Uriah back to battle with his own death letter. Uriah never opens it. He takes it, Uriah hands in the letter. Uriah is sent to the front lines to the heat of the battle and then everyone pulls back and he's left abandoned. And so he dies in battle. And so David, this is David. This is, this is the mighty king. This is the person that God chose to be king. David did all of this. Adultery, murder. He does all this. And so this angers the Lord. So the Lord sends Nathan, who was a prophet at this time, 
Yes, you may think, oh, it's a king, it's a monarchy, right? But this is more of a theocracy. And so since God put the king in place, the king is subject to listen to a prophet who's appointed by God to speak to him. So Nathan is that prophet. Nathan comes before him. It's actually very interesting in chapter 12. Nathan comes before him and he tells him this like kind of parallel story. He's like, hey man, there was this guy who had everything and there was this dude who had nothing and he had like this one goat and he really loved this goat and this goat was like a kid to him but then this guy came uh, for like a meal and so the rich man took that guy's goat and he killed him and he slaughtered him for food. Is that right? And David's like, no! How dare that happen in my kingdom? Bring him here immediately. He is to be put to death. And Nathan goes, bro, that's you. And he says it there. He says, you're the man. You're the one who did this. And Nathan lays into him. And so finally, David's just like, I have sinned before the Lord. He says this in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And so the Lord forgives him. But this this passage, this this Psalm 51, this adultery, this this murder that, that played out over quite some time, if you look at the story, Right? This sin leads David to write this Psalm 51. This is his heart's confession to the Lord. He's remembering back on that time. He's remembering back on that forgiveness that the Lord had granted him, and he writes Psalm 51. So this is a prayer. This is a prayer of repentance that was a huge emotional moment with David. David lays prostrate before the Lord, crying out to God. And so, so that background is essential for us to understanding the heaviness of David's heart of why he writes this passage in Psalm 51. And in that chapter, he says this. He says, I renew a right spirit within me. He says that in verse 10. So this is David. This is David coming to the Lord for forgiveness, for renewal, for his heart remembering what he has done before God. So David longs. He wants a true spirit of repentance. He wants to repent of his sins. He wants to worship the Lord again. And and true repentance is not just remorse or regret. And David works through that in this passage. Repentance is is a transformation of the heart and the mind, right? That we put that sin to death before God. I always describe it to students this way. It's like, if if this is the sin in my life, repentance is not just turning around and having the sin right here. No, repentance is turning around and you run towards Christ. And that's, that's what David is doing in this passage. He's pouring himself before God to go, no, I never want to be near that sin again. I'm running to you. So this morning, as we kind of walk through Psalms 51, we will see how David approached the Lord with the right spirit of repentance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to come to, to hear from your word. Lord, we thank you for this past. Lord, we thank you for the life of David, Lord the mistakes he made, but Lord, also the times he, he's come back to you, crying out to you. Lord, maybe you understand, Lord, as we cry out to you, Lord, we have forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our holy Savior. And Lord, so we thank you for that, Lord. It's the gospel that brings us here this morning. Lord, it's the gospel that I, that I hope is heard through this message. Use me as a vessel this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to walk through all 19 verses, and we're going to break them up uh, into four sections. So we have four points this morning. So the first verses we'll read are verses 1 and 2, and it says this of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my spirit. So the first point there, number one, David pleads for mercy before God. David pleads for mercy before God. Right, we see that David cries out, have mercy. Lord, of your abundant mercy, have mercy on me. And why does he need this mercy? Well, because he's sinned, and yes, he needs mercy. But not, not just, a, just a sin. I mean, his sin was an egregious sin. This was not just a, a little slip-up or, or an unintentional act. Right? Like I said, David was warned by his servant. That's the wife of Uriah. That's a wife. That's a wife. Don't do this. Right? And for her to come from the time that they slept together, for her to understand that she was pregnant, and then he plots for Uriah to come all the way back from the battlefield. Could have been weeks. Could have been months. For him to come back, and then he sets up this whole elaborate plan, this whole thing. This is a long period of time. Yes, it reads short, but this is a long time. This was not just an unintentional. No, David thought through this. David plotted through this. This was a, a massive sin. In fact, the words he uses, that transgression, in Hebrew, that meant rebellious act. Rebellious act. This is this a military term that David knew very well. This is a military term for open rebellion in other words he knew better he had his orders and he directly disobeyed those orders he chose to actively rebel against god and his law and so in that i just want to note that listen i'm not i'm not creating a degree of sins here that's not what we're trying to do but listen all sin is rebellion against god but the, with the, like I said, the strong language that David uses here, he's trying to set up and get us to understand that he's acknowledging his rebellion doesn't deserve mercy. In other words, he is confessing to God that he has no excuse, no grounds on which he deserves mercy, no excuse whatsoever. And sometimes excuses, right, they kind of help us out. And I will say this, I was... Um, infamous for giving excuses uh, particularly in my youth right I, I like to give an excuse and to be honest uh, don't tell my wife she's actually in children so she's not here this morning um, I still kind of linger with excuses right I, I just like giving excuses even the students they'll mess with me uh, like something like little they'll be like oh you're wrong I'll be like well actually the earth is kind of flat in this area <laughs> So I'm not technically wrong on that standpoint. So I, I like to give it excuses. And it just was happening because I felt, oh, if I give an excuse, right, for my behavior, then maybe I can forego the punishment. And that's what we like to do. We like to excuse our behavior, maybe justify and go, oh, well, then I won't face the punishment. And this was no more evident than when my father was fixing to give me a spanking. I became the world's best trial attorney right i was objecting to things calling out witnesses treating people as hostile i did listen i would provide every excuse in the book i would have been a great attorney if every time you threatened me that my dad was going to paddle me right i and, and here's the thing they became like more like so sometimes we ride in the car i had three older brothers 
just the reality of what happens. The older brothers were messing around. My dad's like, all right, wait till we get home. And there was just like silence. But then that's when I would start planning my excuses. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he started it. I didn't start this. And technically, like you start running through this. But and but some reason, they didn't find their way out until my hands were on the bed and he's fixing to paddle me. And then sometimes it wouldn't be a bed and I would rebel. And my dad uh, was kind of a, a strong man. He would grab our arm and I'm like, no, don't do this. No, 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 right? And we're playing like, uh, you know, ring around the rosy. And he rarely missed. I don't know how he like, he did though. He got us every time. And the worst part was like, if he missed, he's like, that's two more. I'm like, that's not, that's not, that's not how that works. You can't do that, right? But we, we, we have an excuse. We want to justify our behavior. We don't want to face that punishment. We love giving excuses. We love to justify our thoughts and our actions. But David doesn't do that here. David doesn't give excuses. He literally has no ground to stand on. He has no reason for mercy. So rather than giving an excuse, what he does is he appeals to the steadfast love of God. He appeals to that. He says that in verse one. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Right? That and that alone was David's plea for mercy. Your steadfast love, your unwavering love for me. I've watched it. Your unwavering love for Israel. I've watched it my whole life. God, in your steadfast love, have mercy on me. I have no excuse to stand on. It says this in Psalms 106.45 and then 86.15. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. David knew this. David before, God has relented from Israel. Why? According to the abundance of his steadfast love. And then 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love despite our continued rebellion. Right? It is that love, that love which David calls out for mercy upon God. No excuses, no bargains, no deals, no, well, what about this? No, none of that. He just simply, God, because of your love that's never forsaken me, that love grant me mercy. David was at a point of knowing how unworthy he was for God's mercy. And mercy, remember, mercy is not getting what we did deserve. Mercy is not getting what we did deserve. So we deserve death. David deserved death. Yet God grants us mercy through Christ. It says this in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Because of mercy, great love, steadfast love, he has made us alive. And that is the God that David pleads to. God and God alone is the one who grants mercies to sinners. We have no excuse before God. So David pleads for mercy before God. All right, let's move on. Verses three through nine say this. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. So number two here, David confesses his shame to God. David confesses his shame to God. He says, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. David is confessing, he's confronting the true weight of his sin before God. He, he has sinned against a holy God. And now he can't stand before the Lord with this unforgiven sin in his life. And it's important to note here that in the context of these verses, David is under the Old Testament law. He's under the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so under that system, right, there, there was a, a, a um, guide to go, hey, in this sin, you need to bring this, right? And there was exact instructions. Oh, you, you cut this, you cut out this, you burn this, you put the blood here, this. There, there was a whole system to all of this sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And David knew that, but here was the problem. David just deserved death according to that system. It said this in Leviticus 20.10, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And then in Genesis 9.6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Death, done. David's sin was a premeditated offense. In other words, there was, there was no sacrifice sufficient in the Old Testament system for his sin. So David doesn't deserve forgiveness. He deserves death. And he understands this. He declares that in verse 4. He says, Lord, you are justified in your words and judgment against me. So he's acknowledging how his sin has disappointed the Lord. He's disappointed a holy God. He even goes back as far as he goes, listen, I know, I know I was born into sin, right? My mother conceived me into sin. So David understands he is a sinner. He's bringing that weight before God. The truth, the heaviness, right, is bringing him to his knees before God. What is it? David's heart is wicked. David's heart is wicked. So David laments He's like, Lord, I failed the expectation that you set before me. He says this in verse six, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. The Lord asked and expected more of David. Remember, David was chosen because of his heart. If you look back in 1 Samuel, when David is anointed king, all his brothers are brought before Samuel. Big, mighty, handsome men. And God's like, nope, 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 no, no, no. He's like, you got any more? He's like, I mean, David, he's out with the sheep. He's like, bring him in, right? And he brings in David and it says, this is really unique, he has really beautiful eyes. I'm guessing they were blue. No offense to anyone, but let's go. Let's be honest. So, right, so, so he brings in David and he, and, and Samuel's like, this kid? And God's like, ah, you're looking at man's appearance, man's outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. 
So remember, David was chosen specifically for his heart. David had expectations from God. He was a man after God's own heart. But now David's heart is corrupted by sin, by the sin that he's put into his life. So he cries out, Lord, cleanse me. In verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Purge me, wash me, make me whiter than snow. David longed for this cleansing from God. And that purge me with hyssop, that that hyssop is very symbolic for a few reasons, right? It represented purity within the nation of Israel. One of the most important things that it was, was that hyssop is what was used in Egypt. So in the time when they were in Egypt, when the plagues were put upon them, and the last one where the firstborn would, be die, would die, he told the nation of Israel to take the hyssop in blood and you paint it over your doorpost and the Lord, the angel of death, will pass over you. That hyssop was used in that first time in their freedom from Egypt, their freedom from slavery, where the Lord passed over them. A ceremony that they celebrated every single year, that hyssop was in that. But it was an abundant in the area where they were. So also it was used when, when they were traveling and moving, when those who would contract leprosy, when finally the disease was, was on and healing in them, they would, be, they would be cleansed with hyssop before they were allowed back into the camp. It just represented purity. So David longs for this, right? Make me pure again, O Lord. Provide that purity with me. He wants to be purified by the blood of the hyssop put upon him by God. And now here we are. We are purified by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9, 14 says this. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? God purifies our hearts from the dead works of sin. How? Through cleansing. So only God can cleanse us as he did David. He recognizes this. So David confesses his shame to God. Move on. Verses 10 through 12, Psalm 51. He says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So number three this morning, David receives unmerited grace from God. David receives unmerited grace from God. So David has pleaded before God. He's confessed his sin and his shame. And now he makes kind of a shift in his prayer here. And now he's in need of transformation. He is asking, Lord, Lord, how can I never sin against you like this again? How can I turn from this? How can I run towards you? The answer is grace. Is grace. That's how. Remember, mercy was not getting what we did deserve. Grace is getting what we did not deserve. So when I say unmerited grace, it's like a, a double emphasis. We did nothing to merit the grace. And that grace is getting what we did not deserve. And God does that for us. David deserved death. So God grants him mercy from death, but then he'll also grant him grace and forgiveness and restore David. David begins that section with a, with a very unique word. He says, create in me a clean heart. And 
English sometimes is kind of boring, right? So we say create, you create a cake, you create this. We use that word, but in Hebrew, this specific verb that they used, that David used for create is the same verb that was used in Genesis 1-1 when God creates the world. In other words, this verb was saved specifically for what only God can do. Only God can create with purity. So David uses it. He's like, only you can do this because you create with purity to create in me a clean heart, oh God. David longs for that clean heart. And then that heart is a figurative language that he moves into. He doesn't, he's not talking about a new uh, an organ, a fleshly organ. No, he's talking about, he's referencing his mind, his will. So his heart represents his mind, his will. In other words, he wants a mind cleansed cleaned of the sinful thoughts that he has. He wants to come before the Lord renewed, transformed. So his desire is for a clean heart, a renewed spirit. David was seeking repentance and a repentant mind that moves away from that. A heart, a mind, a will that hates sin like God hates sin. David, David was, was locked in his sin. David had, had a wicked heart, but no, he's like, he, I want to hate sin like you hate sin, holy God. That is what he wants from him. Because God placed David on the throne. So David is nothing without God. God put him in that position of favor. Why? Because his heart was in favor of God. So this is David's cry in verse 11. He says this, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He knows this is true because he's seen it happen with Saul. He saw, saw Saul. Yes, he's seen Saul. He observed, he observed Saul. He observed Saul fall away from favor with God. And once again, Old Testament context applies here. So understand that we are now in the New Testament. In, at, at Acts, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends upon and inhabits early believers, right? And that Holy Spirit was always with them. And the same for us who are in Christ Jesus, right? We have the Holy Spirit within us. That Holy Spirit, that, that third entity of the Trinity, that's our connection to God the Father. And that Spirit will never depart us. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would descend upon and ascend from man. So there are times, there's many instances where in the Old Testament where you see the Spirit of God comes upon man, but it also goes away from man. We've seen this uh, in the story of Samson. Uh, you see this many other times, but it is witnessed firsthand in Saul. We see it there in 1 Samuel 16, 13 and verse 14. It says this. This is the anointing of David. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And then it moves on and says, hey, this is when Saul Lost favor with God. Now, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. He lost favor with God. So David understands, man, that that spirit can leave me. I don't want that. I don't, wanna, I don't want this to depart from me like it did for Saul. For Saul. Right? D David realizes that his sin warrants that same outcome. His sin, if you look back at what Saul did, David's sin was very egregious if you try to compare it to what Saul did. 
Saul just disobeyed. He didn't wait a, a certain period of time. But there was a, a whole overlook of, of Saul's disobedience. And here's David with the same disobedience. So David wants grace so the spirit of the Lord will continue to guide his kingship. He says, don't cast me from your presence. He wants to return to God's favor. He can only do that through grace. Only through grace can sinners be restored to God. That that grace that we, that we experience, that grace brings joy to salvation. To understand, to get something that you did not deserve. David longed for that joy again, the joy of knowing that grace has been given to him, the, the strength to overcome temptations. Psalm 71, 23 says this, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. Our soul sings praises. It shouts to God when we see, when we understand we have been redeemed, renewed, right? A redeemed spirit that worships with joy for what God has done for us. A gift that we did not deserve that came alone through grace from God. So David receives this unmerited grace from God. And finally this morning, move on. Verses 13 through 19, Psalms 51 says this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion, which is Jerusalem, and your good pleasure build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in your right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So finally there, number four, David is reconciled unto God. David is reconciled unto God. So he cries out for mercy. He confesses, he he understands the weight of his sin before a holy God. He receives the grace in the Lord's presence and now he longs to worship him again. Remember, David knew that no sacrifice was sufficient. So his forgiveness was only gonna come before God. It says this in verse 16, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. David is saying the ritual of going to the altar, of following these required steps is not pleasing to the Lord in this moment. Why? Because David's heart was not in the right position. So David's comparing this ritual to to a heart. He's comparing an act of religion to an act of worship. He's like, you can't just have this. No, you need to be here. That that Old Testament ritual, the sacrifices, they were meaningless if the heart of the man was not true with their intentions. He says that in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's what those sacrifices should represent. The animal had to be flawless, but the man had to be broken. And the same goes for us. The animal, the sacrifice that we have is Christ. Christ was flawless. 
Christ was flawless. That is a sacrifice that is altered or offered to God. But we must come before him with a broken heart, a broken spirit of knowing that only through that sacrifice can we get back to God. So David laments over this. He declares his brokenness so God can restore him. He seeks reconciliation unto God. David, David knows the weight of his sin, right? He says there, he uses the word blood guiltiness. This is a heavy, strong word. He, he shed the blood of man, but now he calls upon the Lord for deliverance. He calls upon the Lord for righteousness. Why? Because it only comes from God. When his heart is restored, when David's heart is restored, then then he can approach the Lord in worship. Not just follow rituals, no. He wants a heart that truly longs for the worship before God. David wants to be an example of that true worship before his people. He says that in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. He was trying to show them, listen, that the ritual, the, 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 the mundane cycle, the, the feeling of, of obligation that you have to do this, Though, oh, I'm just going to just check off another box. No. That, that, that's not worship before the Lord. Th- those are just religious rituals. No, he wants a broken and contrite heart. The Lord desires a worshiper with a heart for the Lord, a heart that knows it received grace, it received mercy. And in that heart, that heart we give the Lord glory and honor and praise. So, so we, have, we, have the, we, we approach the throne in need of mercy with a heaviness on our sinful hearts, knowing that grace alone has made us pure. Through Jesus Christ, we are now reconciled to God. So Christ has restored righteousness before God. We have reconciliation through Jesus Christ in his sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, as ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And that is what we rest in, knowing what Christ has done for us. That is the right spirit of repentance. That's how we should approach the throne of God. That's how we should approach the Lord, knowing what he has done for us in spite of our sin. We should hate sin just as God hates sin. We should worship the Lord for he is worthy. But one last thing I want to just talk about this morning before we close is, is we need to understand, right? David is an example David gives an example in this prayer of how he should approach God. And yes, we approach God in the same way, but here, here's the difference is that we are forgiven through Christ Jesus. The sins you have done, the sins you will done, they are forgiven. But we, with our hearts, 
and the loving God, we approach God and go, Lord, still forgive me for the sin. We still follow that. We still follow this method of going, Lord, give me mercy. Understand the sin I have before you because that puts our heart in a place for worship. And so that's how we worship the Lord in that. But also, knowing this, we can't not talk about this in the life of David. Forgiveness of sin does not neglect the consequences of sin. And this is what I meant was at a turning point in David's life. If you look from when David was appointed in 1 Samuel 16, and you read all the way up to 2 Samuel 11, there was great accomplishments done through David. That God worked with him in mighty ways. Miracles in his life of what he had done. Great stories, right? You have the story of David and Goliath. You have the story of Jonathan and all this. His, his running away from Saul. It's, it's an amazing story. But then you get here, 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12. And what Nathan tells David before he leaves his present, he's like, David, that child you have with Bathsheba, it's going to die. He also says, hey, and the sword will never leave your household. And it's sad to look in 2 Samuel 13, starts this downgrade, almost overshadowing David's accomplishments is the sin that wrecked his household. 2 Samuel 13 is the story of a brother raping his sister. In other words, the, the sin that David committed had consequences on his family. Sexual sin was rampant in his household. Murder was rampant in his household. But David didn't go to God to overshadow, to go, oh, Lord, I'm forgiven now. Erase the consequence that you've done. No, that's not what David did. David went in repentance of understanding he sinned before a holy God. And so even for us, when we approach God, we understand the sin that is in our life. We understand, listen, on earth you will face consequences of your sin. To give a very strong example, if you murder someone, there are consequences to that. You will go to jail. You will be locked up for life. If if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, yes, you are forgiven, but that doesn't neglect the consequences we have here. However, However, our hope doesn't lie here. Our hope doesn't lie on earth. So yes, I may face the consequences of sin on earth, but I know this is a fallen world that's only temporary. My hope lies in Jesus Christ. He says, for now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So yes, I may have to face and understand the consequences of sin on earth, but I'm going, this is only temporary. I I will go to the Lord. I will ask for forgiveness. I'll plead before him for grace and mercy that he has granted me through Jesus Christ. And I will face those consequences, whether they be small or or large. But still, we go, we have forgiveness. And then I look, I look to the future of going, yes, but one day when I stand before God, those consequences won't matter. That sin has been washed away by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That is the hope that I look for. That is the hope we're understanding. So please hear me this morning that that David's forgiveness 
David's process of coming to repentance before God was a very powerful message for us understanding how we should approach the Lord in worship knowing our sin is forgiven by Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. But the consequences are just temporary here on earth. We have to live through them. But my hope lies in Jesus Christ. So this morning, as the band comes up, that is the hope I want you to take rest in. Take hope in the rest and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has given us on the cross. That is where we lie this morning. Our forgiveness is in him. And so we approach him in that. So when we approach worship, when we, we go to the Lord in worship, we do so with a forgiven heart before God. That's how we should approach him in that. So this morning, as we play this song, however you want to, to uh, respond to this message, whether it be praying here at the altar, pray at your seats, sing glorious worship to Lord. Pray that you respond to this message this morning, that the Lord has spoken to you this morning and given us a heart for him in worship, a repentant heart, a right spirit of repentance to approach the Lord. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.